Hi everyone, this is Sydney Menson from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Joe Suger and Dr. Adam Vitetto from Ionoptics. They recently joined us for a webinar where they discuss excitation contraction coupling in cardiomyocytes and the tools used to characterize this. Let's jump in. You mentioned that cytomotion could be used for amorphous cell types. Can you expand on that? And do you have any other examples of cells whose contractility could be measured? I'll take that one, I guess. So when I say amorphous, really any any motile cell, any cell that moves can be measured with this algorithm. It isn't specific to any cell type. In fact, you could even measure it with adult cardiomyocytes, which we have. I wouldn't use it for adult cardiomyocytes because, again, it's not an absolute measure, and I think sarcomere length is better for those applications. But we have tried it with things like H9C2 cells, the C2C12s. So there are other cell types that we, we've kind of dabbled with. Again, if there's any cell type that moves and has even the smallest bit of contrast, the algorithm works. As a follow-up, actually, to that, I, I sometimes use it as a fail-safe on my primary tissue. So I'm hitting it with like a saturating dose of, say, ISO or dobutamine. Folks that have used that know that it makes the cells go nuts. And so if I've got an alternate way to track the kinetics that's going to be foolproof, I often use both at the same time. That's kind of the beauty of these systems is they can, not only can you combine certain modules together from a hardware perspective, even from a software perspective too. I can use Cytomotion at the same time I'm using sarcomere length, and I can even throw an edge detection if I want. Awesome. Thank you guys both. Next question here. In, in terms of FURA2 dependent calcium buffering, what are the recommended concentrations and load times to minimize myocyte contractility diminution? So typically, we recommend as little as you can get away with. And again, using the contractility as a barometer for how FURA2 has affected, has affected or whether it has affected or not. Generally speaking, we use one micromolar at room temperature for a 10 to 15 minutes in adult cardiomyocytes. That's the, uh, that's, that's sort of the starting point. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Jeffrey here asks, what starts relaxation and role, if any, of funny current? So relaxation is initiated by calcium reuptake. So you, you actually, at the, the moment you start depolarization, there's a cascade that slower than calcium release, but that actually activates circa. So there's this coincident thing that's happening where you get the initial calcium release, but you're also getting delayed calcium reuptake. Awesome. Perfect. Okay. I can't really speak to the funny current thing. I'm not sure about that. No problem. Uh, so we know that that's mostly in, for example, SA nodal cells, where you get spontaneous depolarization that's driving the rhythmogenicity of the heart. For all of the applications that we talked about here, these were all done in ventricular cardiomyocytes. And so the funny current on this... Uh, it's not going to be present in these cells, or at least not to the same degree that it would be in SI-nodal atrial cells. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay, Dong Wu here asks, is there any possibility that the dyes like FURA influences the sarcomere length contractility? Absolutely. And that's kind of why we were reiterating the, so again, it's, it's, it's BAPTA. FURA2 is BAPTA, and it's got a bunch of furans, the fluorophores on it. 
So anytime you throw in a chelator, you're likely to affect anything downstream. So the trick here is just to make sure that you're not. And that's easy to do because you're simultaneously running a measurement of the downstream effectors as well by looking at contractility. You can easily assess whether or not your calcium loading protocol is loading too much fura into the cell. Perfect. Yeah, that's really helpful. Okay, Jaime asks, is it possible to use the calcium and contractility system in heart slices? Yes. So the contractility side of things is kind of a stand-in for force development. It's a derivative of that. In heart slices, you can actually measure force development directly, but you can also, if, there, uh, if your slices are on the order of about 200 microns thick, you can see sarcomeres. It's a little bit harder to do, but you can still do it. So you could do actually direct force measurements and you could actually look at sarcomeres as well. We're actually developing uh, a system that's based on our small intact muscle chamber that allows you to mount tissue slices. And we've actually had success me measuring both force and calcium and sarcomere length as well. Great. That's an exciting development. Alexandra asks, in the myosin-2 ATPA's inhibitor dose response, why do you have different numbers of cells in different doses? I think that's for you, Adam. Right. So the way that we designed the study was instead of doing like a typical dose response where you might start with control perfusion and then do ramping up doses, I instead decided to organize the study so that I did a control and then one dose. Next experiment would be control a different dose. So that way there was no confounding effects with the dosages as we were increasing them. No, uh, no hysteresis. Great. Okay. Let's see. Jaime asks another question here. It's a little bit long, so I'll read it out. The calcium and contractility system allows you to manually modulate the basal level of the recording, calcium or contractility. If this level is adjusted manually, the amplitude of the record changes in the same cell. And this could give an artifact in the results. Is, is it like this or is this correct or not? So you can affect the resting calcium levels that you're measuring if you have LEDs and you can tune the current that's driving those LEDs differently. But what we say whenever, whenever we install one of these systems and train the user, we say the same thing determine what power level you need for each individual LED and then lock them in place. From that point forward, you should not be adjusting them because it will affect your resting calcium ratio, which would be artifactual. If you start to mess around, you can lower the, the resting or diastolic calcium levels that you're measuring from. So yes, you could do it on the calcium side. On the contractility side, I don't think that's true. I mean, your, your sarcomere length, the only way to affect it is to do it poorly, really. If you move, for example, the sarcomere length region of interest from one region of the cell to another, should be consistent. If you have myocytes, and this sometimes happens when you're isolating, you have multiple myocytes that are sort of stuck together, and you move from one myocyte to another myocyte, then you could actually get a different resting sarcomere length. But that's not the user modulating it necessarily. That's just measuring from a different cell. I think that's follow the question. Yeah, two follow-ups to that. Uh, so first off, there, there is a little bit of heterogeneity in sarcomere lengths in different spots in the cell. If you include the ROI over the entire cell, you kind of preempt that. If, however, Jaime is referring to modulating acquisition frequency, like the frequency with which we're acquiring the data, 
there's a possible a possibility that running at too low a frequency is going to blunt peaks of contraction on the contractility side or could blunt peaks of calcium amplitude on the calcium side. So making sure that you're using the full frequency of, of acquisition for particularly the, the intended, for example, you'll want a higher frequency acquisition rate on something that's measuring action potential and voltage like fluopult than you would say for like a fewer two intracellular calcium dye. Great. Great answers, both of you. Thank you. David has asked, any success in measuring calcium in differentiated iPS cells? Yeah, definitely. Every time we test our systems with different application models, we test for FIRO2 as well. So yeah, we definitely measured calcium from differentiated iPSCs. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers, just like you, answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.